Hello, everyone. This is Sean Dubravac from Avrio Institute. And this is Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. Welcome back to another episode of Techspansive. This week, we thought we would jump into the Apple Spotify news from the week. We'd hit some gaming news as well, and then jump into a, a lightning round that includes the likes of Garmin, Lyft, and Google Docs. That let's start with a quick take on the news coming out of uh, Apple and, and Spotify. Ross, do you want to take the first swing at this? Yeah, sure. So uh, just a, a little bit of background here. Um, so Spotify has uh, launched this uh, microsite, if they still call these things uh, microsites, called timetoplayfair.com. Uh, and um, essentially, they accuse Apple of not running uh, a fair platform uh, because, of course, Apple has Apple Music, which competes with Spotify. And Apple Music has some capabilities, some integration capabilities that um, <clears throat> Spotify either is not or cannot take advantage of at this time. And uh, there, there are other issues around the App Store that uh, are, are proving frustrating for Spotify, some on the promotion side, uh, some directly on the revenue side, as of course, Apple takes a 30% share uh, of, the, uh, of the revenue uh, from apps, although things are a little different uh, for streaming services or subscription services, uh, which we'll get into in a minute. But uh, so here's, here's basically uh, Spotify's five main grievances. Uh, one, the 30% fee for their in-app purchase, uh, and they claim that the rules are not applied evenly. So, for example, Uber doesn't pay it, uh, and we'll get into why in a minute. Uh, Apple won't let us share Spotify deals if we don't use in-app payments, which is the only payment option on iOS, and uh, Spotify doesn't let them, uh, Apple doesn't let Spotify communicate directly with um uh, with their customers. Uh, Apple doesn't allow you to upgrade to Spotify Premium easily. Uh, okay, Apple bars us from offering that option in our app, instead forcing users to take multiple steps of going to a browser or desktop. Um, okay, uh, Apple rejects our app enhancements. Uh, okay, and Apple won't let you access Spotify on all your devices and hear that they have, uh, they, they single out HomePod, uh, Apple speaker and Siri, uh, connecting with Siri. Uh, and they say, we don't forget about the Apple watch. We were ready to be on devices months before Apple would even give us a shot, limiting your experience as a choice. Of course you can play Apple music though. Uh, and so today, uh, as we record, uh, Apple came out with a comprehensive uh, answer to Spotify's claims, uh, a little bit of background about how wonderful an opportunity, a developer opportunity, the App Store has been. Uh, they deny that they are blocking any uh, updates to their apps. They say that they treat them promptly, just like any other developer uh, they say, when we reached out to Spotify about Siri and AirPlay 2 support, which uh, the HomePod supports, uh, they told us they're working on it. Uh, and they note that Spotify is integrated into CarPlay, 
which is Apple's uh, in-vehicle uh, iPhone connectivity option. And they say, hey, Spotify has been on the Apple Watch uh, since September 2018, and they claim it is currently the number one app in the watch music category. So that's uh, that. Uh, then that they uh, go into a little bit more detail about what gets charged for this in-app payment, uh, noting that uh, free apps aren't charged uh, any revenue share, even if it's by advertising, uh, and that business transactions where people sign up outside the app aren't charged by Apple. So that is uh, in line with what Spotify says about uh, them having to send people to um, uh, to, to a desktop or, or a browser. And then uh, here's the Uber thing that they address. Apps that sell physical goods, including ride hailing and food delivery services, to name a few, aren't charged by Apple. And uh, they also note that, uh, yes, there is a revenue share of 30% for the first year of an annual subscription, but after that it drops to 15%. Um, and I have some thoughts on that that I'll get to in a minute. So uh, then they also note that Spotify has to pay for distribution for other partners, such as the carriers that they distribute with in, in many of their uh, uh, other economies uh, that they operate in on, on non-iPhone platforms. And uh, noting that uh, Spotify is suing artists, um, you know, to try to maximize their, their revenue. Um, so. I don't think I covered every point, but those are some of the major points, uh, essentially. And uh, uh, one thing that, uh, you know, a couple things that stood out to me. Uh, one is how tough Spotify's business is. Uh, and, and a lot of that is structural, um, doesn't have much to do with Apple or, or without Apple. Um, but I think that this notion of the 30% share for the first year Assuming that Apple brought the company the customer uh, is not unreasonable, um, particularly as it drops down to 15%. I think that reflects how, over time, Apple's involvement uh, becomes less significant. And so, therefore, they are uh, easing the revenue share. And it's a good deal for Apple, of course, because it's an annuity. So uh, they continue to earn at least some revenue uh, without having to do really uh, any any further development, although of course you know there's the stuff that they have to do anyway, like keeping the servers running and you know continuing to work on payment infrastructure and and things like that. So um, uh, I think there's no shortage of ideas about uh, how you know different kinds of structures that could be set up for companies that compete with Apple uh, on the iOS platform. And uh, I think it's no accident that Spotify timed this right before Apple is about to announce major uh, service uh, options, media service options, uh, that I think won't elicit this kind of reaction because uh, I, I just can't see Netflix uh, creating a, a complaint like this. Uh, and um, uh, you know, it's uh, Apple says that that they want competition for their services because it helps make them better. Uh, that's probably the one I have the hardest time <laughs> swallowing. But uh, but uh, you know, it's it's tough, and and of course, it all comes to light also 
uh, as we discussed last week, as uh, Elizabeth Warren, for example, uh, has been uh, raising this exact issue about how Apple can't be both the platform provider uh, and the the store. Actually, it wasn't this exact issue. She talked about it them being the platform provider and store provider, uh, but being the store provider uh, sets sets them up for these kinds of issues, assuming that they're going to create their own competitive services. Yeah, and I think there's clearly two motivations that drove Spotify to to make these claims at this time. And it's right, interesting this has to been see going on for a long time. Yeah, and, and yeah, to yeah. see to see Apple also respond with such a, a strong uh, response was interesting because a lot of times Apple would just let these type of things go and not feel the need to to address them so explicitly. But you have clearly the, the timing of Senator Warren's comments. So that builds some mustard around this. And I think yeah. Spotify is trying to point to the fact that, hey, this is exactly what, what they're talking about, even if the examples are slightly different. Mm -hmm. And really it was around kind of the house brands of of retailers like Amazon, but, uh, but this could fit in. But it also comes after Apple has started to push Apple Music onto other platforms. So in the past, mm. Spotify really only competed with Apple Music on iOS devices. That isn't the case anymore. Now Apple Music is starting to show up in, in other places, places that have for a very long time been the exclusive domain or, or nearly exclusive domain of Spotify. And at, at the same time, uh, you know, Spotify makes the argument that Apple Music doesn't face these same restrictions and these same costs in within the iOS platform. So it's got some some competitive advantages on that platform, and it's also extending into these other platforms. And, and to your point, the economics of this space are extremely difficult because as your revenues go up, your costs go up because what right. you're selling is driven by a royalty uh, you know, model. So it's very difficult to ever get away from that. And, and that's arguably the, the motivation between Spotify doing a number of things, including suing music creators around royalty payments, around trying to move into podcasts where the economics might be hmm. more conducive to them and, and to growing margin. It's very difficult to grow margin in a world where your costs are increasing with your revenue. And so a 30% haircut, even for the first year, uh, can be quite detrimental. Yeah, especially if uh, you are prohibited from kind of steering people to to other options from within the platform, you know, kind of a, a gag rule that Apple implements uh, because, you know, they, they view it as getting around a workaround for their restrictions. Um, I think your your point about Apple Music branching out is is really interesting. Um, first off, that is to be expected as Apple's media ambitions grow, content service ambitions grow. You're going to want to expand beyond the Apple platform, but it's particularly funny or or interesting because the first place they have gone. Uh, has been the Amazon Echo, uh, and uh, you know, very popular, fast-growing device, but one in which the manufacturer also has 
a competing music service. So it's interesting, you know, but but Amazon isn't isn't charging. And you know, you can't open up a an Apple Music subscription or a Spotify subscription on the Echo today. And perhaps that's why Spotify thinks it's a more level playing field, at least for now. But who knows what will happen in the future? And of of course, uh, Amazon uh, has um, uh, you know they've had their own uh, back and forth issues with Apple about, for example, Prime Video being on Apple TV. So uh, now that Apple has this growing family of content services, maybe there's more of an opportunity for a quid pro quo with Amazon. Uh, neither of which have dominant media positions, and uh, perhaps they perhaps they think that by uh, being more lenient in each other's ecosystems, they can better compete against the leaders Netflix and uh, Net- Netflix and Spotify. Well, when you think about where you would go to renew your subscription or to start a new subscription, if you're not doing it in the the uh, Amazon Echo ecosystem, you're going to grab your phone most likely. Sure. And and so, if that's the default device you're going to to buy something, then you run into this this uh, dynamic where you're going to end up uh, paying Apple thirty percent. You as a consumer really don't care unless they're they're charging more, which Spotify in, in the past has done, where they're charging a, a premium if you're buying it through the 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 ios ecosystem do are they allowed to do that do they still do that or did apple put the hammer down on that or uh or can they (laughs) that i don't know i i know that they used to charge 12 dollars, which you know was 12.99 which was kind of the 30 percent premium for that so i don't know if they're continuing to do that or not Huh. I, I thought I thought there were app store restrictions against that, although maybe not on subscription products. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like Spotify's. I mean, putting aside all kinds of wacky restrictions, uh, I shouldn't call them wacky, but all, all kinds of restrictions that uh, could be erected. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking back to the kinds of things that they made Microsoft do with Internet Explorer back back in the day, where you know, you start up the device and you get this thing of, you know, who would you like to be your music provider? Who would you want to be your default video provider? I mean, in video, it doesn't really work as well. But but for music, the challenge is, is that you're, you're all dealing with the same catalog. So, so that's, uh, you know, and, and as you mentioned, that's why they're looking to uh, invest more in, in Spotify in, in podcasts and, and, and other content. Uh, but but that's the challenge, you know. The you're, you're all dealing with essentially the same catalog from from the same labels, uh, and, and at essentially the same price uh, that uh, that the industry has settled on. And so it's it's really difficult to differentiate. And and so when Apple comes in and says, you know, we're going to give you a a three month free uh, access to Apple Music, that is uh, that's a very powerful acquisition mechanism that. Spotify. Well, Spotify just launched something with Samsung. Uh, so, you know, that that's a way around for them on Android, I suppose, to deal directly with the hardware companies uh, and perhaps, you know, try to get things going outside of Google Play. 
Yeah, and you you saw too some further things just uh, in the last day or so where Spotify warned that they would have to raise prices to all of their customers in order to cover this thirty percent premium that they have to pay mm-hmm. through uh, you know through Apple. Um, it's kind of beating that war drum, if you will, that prices for all consumers are going to have to go up because of the, the way that Apple runs their business. And, and I think you feel that flavor in Apple's response of like, hey, this is how we run our business and Spotify can run their business any way they want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, subscription companies raising prices is kind of expected over time anyway. So uh, because costs go up or in the case of um i mean amazon has raised prime prices a number of times netflix of course keeps raising uh their subscription prices so it's i suppose a little unusual for them to come back and single out apple uh, as opposed to just saying hey (laughs) we're doing it because people do you know because companies do uh over time to reflect costs uh and I wonder, you know, why uh, why they? I, I guess the the reason they've gone after Apple is is just because Apple has had so much more success with uh, with Apple Music uh, as opposed to Google Play, where some of the same dynamics exist uh, in terms of competing uh, with a with a native service. It's just that Google has been far less aggressive about promoting Google Play Music. Well, and the other thing is, this is Spotify's sole revenue stream, essentially. And for everyone else who's in this competitive space, it's not their only market. And so Hmm. from an Apple perspective, music is just one piece of the pie. From Amazon and Google's perspective, music is just one piece of of a very large pie. Uh, And you, you see this, across the large you know the larger diversified tech companies facebook eventually will probably get into music they're clearly pushing video they've always had a had a love for video and they're constantly trying to come up with new ways of taking advantage of a video on and the spotify, platform and spotify basically launched in the us on facebook right yeah, i think you needed a facebook id right to uh yeah yeah, and and so Spotify, because it is exclusively focused on music, really has to defend that domain. Whereas others can subsidize their costs mm-hmm. and and subsidize their content uh, expenses through other pieces of of the platform. And so I think that's why you might not see such strong competition between the likes of. Amazon and Apple or Google when it comes to something like music because it's just one piece of their of their very large pie and, and arguably will never be a dominant share of their revenue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Right. But, you know, that hasn't prevented scuffles in the past. Uh, maybe uh, maybe to your point, the these other companies are seeing a, a bigger picture right now or their negotiating position has just changed over the years uh, to what I said about Apple music, Apple music and perhaps an Apple video service now wanting to tap into uh, devices made by Amazon and other manufacturers. So, so this will be uh, an interesting one to watch, uh, particularly in the context 
of uh, Apple's March 25th event in which it is expected to launch a number of complementary services to Apple Music in, in the video and perhaps uh, magazine space. We've, we've talked a bit about that. And uh, it'll also be interesting to see how Apple handles uh, bundling those services, uh, what kind of suite they offer it, how they promote it. Uh, I'm not expecting any bundled discounts, but but certainly uh, there is a, an integration opportunity they could do uh, that uh, may be causing Spotify to feel even a little bit more heat. Yeah, definitely m- more to come. Uh, with respect to that. And I think to me, the big news from an Apple content perspective isn't what happens in 2019. It's what happens further down the road. And we've we've seen the value of uh, not just the distribution of content from the major studios, but clearly the development of unique proprietary content that's unique to the platform. So the originals on both Amazon and Netflix are what's driving a lot of the uh, acquisition of, of new customers and, and probably retaining those customers as well. And so that will continue to be a, a very big piece of what Apple will, will need to do to be successful is drive original content. One, one, uh, one final postscript on Google. Uh, I said that they haven't pushed Google Play Music extensively, and that's true. But I, I think in part, uh, that's because they've just put so much more emphasis on YouTube music, which arguably is a more recognizable competitor uh, to uh, to Spotify. So that's my last word on that. Yeah. Uh, and now shifting on to gaming, we've had a lot of announcements this last week uh, as it relates to gaming. Uh, you saw Microsoft continuing to push their um, xCloud service and demonstrated that for the first time this week, uh, promising to public trials for being able to stream Xbox games to iOS, Android, Mac, and and PCs later this year. You also saw them make a bigger push for Microsoft for for cloud gaming and developer tools, essentially creating a a stack and providing that stack to uh, developers, what they're calling the Microsoft Game Stack, just ahead of their annual, uh, the annual GDC. And sure, we'll hear more of that coming out of the the uh, Game Developers Conference. Um, at the same time, you saw Valve announce early beta for Streamlink Anywhere, which allows users to connect their computers and play games from, from anywhere. And then also, uh, as it relates to some of these announcements, HTC is talking about their subscription service, which will give access to a catalog of 600-plus VR games and apps scheduled to launch next month at about $13 a month or $99 a year. So what are your early thoughts on some of the game announcements we had this week? It's funny. Yeah, I I think it's funny to see all of these companies basically uh, borrowing from each other in terms of business strategy. So uh, the Valve, I'm sorry, the uh, HTC Vive uh, announcement is essentially their version of Xbox Game Pass, which is something that Microsoft has had for a while, subscription service for a certain number of titles uh, available, uh, I suppose, on some kind of rotating basis, but a core that's always there 
essentially a Netflix, very much a Netflix for games like model. Uh, the um, uh, it's interesting to see them launch it because usually subscription services are based on large installed bases, uh, and uh, HTC certainly does not have that today. Although perhaps uh, they can do more with their partner Steam uh, to to encourage more of that, or at least on the on the supply side, the content selection side, and it's those kinds of dynamics, the l inherent limits in hardware installed base, that is prompting a lot of what you're seeing from Microsoft, even though they've had far more success in terms of xbox penetration than uh, htc has had with with vive penetration they know that there are only so many uh, households that are going to buy an xbox they're a little stymied on the mobile side so they're doing two things uh, they're they're highly complementary for native games on ios and android they are going to let them play in the world of xbox live so this game stack is essentially Xbox Live for non-Microsoft platforms. And it brings them all the things like achievements and player matching and uh, all, all of these services enabled with uh, historically with Xbox Live. The xCloud uh, initiative is uh, different and I would say far, you know, the far greater technical challenge. This is hosting games in the cloud and delivering them to virtually any platform uh, by use of what is essentially very reactive, interactive video. So the game is rendered in the cloud. They send the full resolution of the game down to, say, your smartphone. And then it is very quick to pick up these millisecond reactions that you need to register in order to not get in, not be killed in the game, you know, or not crash your car. Uh, in the game. Uh, so this is a dream that's been around for a long time. Uh, there was a company called OnLive that tried it a few years ago. NVIDIA has tried it. Uh, Sony has done some of it with uh, with PlayStation now. Uh, and you know now, particularly with 5G uh, coming into the market, this is a, a perfect time to be trying uh, something something like this. Uh, we'll have to see how far it can go. I was a little surprised, frankly, to see that Apple is even allowing this SDK to be used right now. I guess it doesn't really affect their revenue, so they probably don't care, uh, at least in the short term. But um, the uh, uh, in, in terms of adding all of this um, uh, Xbox Live stuff, they're also talking about possibly bringing it to rival consoles and uh, that's uh, certainly almost certainly going to be a no-go for Sony, uh, if you want to pick up from there and explain a few reasons why. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly never been in, in Sony's business model. And if you think about the, the console, uh, the competitive market for consoles, uh, you really have today PlayStation 4 competing against uh, Xbox. And, and really that that market has changed significantly. I mean, we've we've shifted from a traditional upgrade cycle that uh, for 35 years rotated uh, pretty much around a five-year cycle. Every five years we were getting a, a new console drop. And what you hoped was that your existing console owners upgraded 
you gain some new console owners that would shift over to your to your platform. Um, and if nothing else, you could at least add your console into uh, the the households of of uh, those who owned your competitive your competing console. But we we've really moved away from that kind of strict five year upgrade cycle. And I think that's what you see Microsoft responding to here rather than trying to push the latest hardware upgrade. They're looking at how do they extend the platform into other hardware uh, areas. Um, and, and to your point with uh, with Sony, it really isn't in their business model and never has been to uh, to, you know, to play well with some of those competitors, they much prefer the proprietary nature of keeping people within a, a Sony ecosystem. You've seen that in a number of places from, from the way they do external memory to uh, obviously what they, what they do here with um, PlayStation 4. And then also a lot of what has defined those consoles over time has been the exclusives that are available on mm-hmm. those, on those platforms. And so this starts to break down some of those uh, some of those barriers. Yeah, I would say so Sony uh, somewhat infamously was the last platform provider to relent on the idea of uh, Fortnite uh, being played a- across platform. They took uh, a lot of criticism for that and uh, we'll have to see how that experience has played out for them. But yes, unlike you know earlier, Sean, you were talking about, what music revenue means to Spotify versus a company like Apple or Google. Well, let's look at what games mean to a company like Sony as opposed to Microsoft, uh, where there's a similar, uh, similar, uh, although a different dynamic in that uh, PlayStation has long been one of the revenue stars for Sony in, in a you know, in a, in an overall business where a lot of the electronics that they had been traditionally known for, have not been doing well. They've, they've done a good job of recovering over the past few years, uh, but but PlayStation was was long a star and a revenue driver. And um, uh, for Microsoft, of course, Xbox has been, I don't know, for, for a long time, a big money loser. They I, I don't know if they've turned the corner, but, uh, but what this is about, at least the xCloud stuff, uh, is very much in keeping with uh, what they've done in other parts of their business. Uh, and again, I, I would say a lot of it is because they have been so frustrated in mobile, but they know they can't ignore it. So mm-hmm. they have to uh, you know, bring Office 365 to the greatest extent possible to an iPad, to, to Android phones. Uh, and so now they're doing the same thing with games. Oh, and by the way, it, it is an excellent opportunity for them to highlight uh, the power of Azure. Uh, you know, Xbox Live in general has long been a, a showcase for, uh, for Microsoft's uh, server initiatives and, and cloud initiatives, but it's hard to think of an application that is more demanding, uh, at, at least one that would be recognized by most people, than this real-time uh game processing rendering and reaction and uh so you know that that's an opportunity to to promote uh azure and talk to customers and learn uh about 
things they can do to improve their systems uh, that they can then market to other enterprise customers. I think you also see the commoditization of hardware taking place as well. I mean, while we talk a lot about Android versus iOS, you could argue that the hardware doesn't look that different. Mm -hmm. And the hardware has many comparable uh, feature sets and attributes. And so as the hardware becomes commoditized, then what's happening on top of that hardware really starts to be the, the differentiator. And so if you can be active across a wide swath of diverse hardware platforms, uh, you can take a, a more commanding share of, of that marketplace. And so Microsoft from their, their game strategy is really uh, in some ways abandoning hardware uh, solely exclusively in the home. Um, yes, they'll still have an Xbox tied to, to your primary television, but pushing games far beyond that onto, to your point, mobile platforms that they didn't have historically very strong uh, hardware story to, to tell. And so um, as some of these pieces become commoditized from a hardware perspective, they can still have a, a very influential uh, role in, in what's being done on that hardware, whether it's to your point, Office 365, or in, in this case, gaming. They've been very uh, careful about reassuring people that they are not getting out of the console business, to, to your point. Uh, and to your point about the exclusivity of titles, this allows them to leverage that better in many ways, even if it provides a somewhat lower incentive to buy Microsoft hardware. Well, and it also makes them relevant when the next killer game isn't exclusive to their platform. And I think mm -hmm. they they had to look at what happened with Fortnite and recognize, hey, this is the, the dominant game that everyone is playing. And how do we ensure that we're still relevant in a, in a world where we didn't we, you know, we didn't develop the game. Right. Um, and they couldn't, so, you know, they couldn't buy it the way they did Minecraft, which was, exactly. you know, the last one. So. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, they see that, and, and also given the price they had to pay for Minecraft, um, it, they become prohibitively expensive. And so how do we remain relevant in a world where the, the differentiation at the hardware level is not as strong as it once was. And that's happening everywhere. That happens at the console level, that happens inside of, um, you know, definitely in mobile. And then um, how, how do we take advantage of games popping up outside of our platform and, and be relevant there? And so you see the lines blurring everywhere. I mean, they also announced that they were going to, this week, start letting you stream PC games to an Xbox One and use an Xbox controller using a, a newly updated app, wireless display app. Microsoft will let you stream games from uh, your your PC to an Xbox mm. and use a traditional regular Xbox controller. So they maintain relevancy of Xbox in the living room connected to televisions using Xbox controllers, but take advantage of wherever those games are, are showing up and, and then ultimately being able to play them wherever you want to play them. Well, to your, to your earlier point about Sony, uh, so this uh, right right now, I guess, or next week is the 
Game Developer Conference that's in uh, San Francisco. That's why we're seeing all uh, many of these announcements. Google is also expected to announce a, a streaming game service. Uh, who knows uh, if, if Apple may add that as well. That, that would certainly be a lot for one event. Uh, but uh, the uh, it, it will be interesting to see how, how Sony uh, responds because they have historically been uh, a little slower on some of the online uh, initiatives, but, but they do have uh, a lot of the technical infrastructure in, in place. And uh, this definitely puts pressure on them to uh, expand um, the the kinds of platforms that uh, that can access uh, PlayStation games, and it's stuff that they have experimented with in the past uh, for sure on on Android phones. Uh, but uh, but this could this could raise the stakes. Good. Well, let's uh, more to come. Certainly, we'll have more game announcements, and we'll have greater context in in the next week or two. Uh, let's shift now to our lightning round, where we'll kick it off with Garmin's announcement that they would uh, up their luxury watch offerings and, and they're bringing to market uh, five watches in their new, I, I believe it's pronounced Mark, Mark. line. Sure. Uh, with, the, with the Q, so you know it's good. That's right. Yeah. M-A-R-Q. Uh, prices range between $1,500 and $2,500. And uh, as I noted, they have essentially five different models um, designed for the activities that all of our luxury watch wearers love to engage in. One is uh, designed for racing, comes preloaded with data for more than 20, 250 racetracks. Mm. One is for uh, pilots, and it's got mm. pilot-specific functions, including emer emergency navigation guides to the nearest airport. Uh, course needle, weather maps, flight logging. And then you have one for sailing, of course. You yeah. couldn't forget your, your sailing model. Sure, on and your it's yacht. Got a, and it's got a special <laughs> regatta timer, tack assist, autopilot, nice. boat data functions. And then uh, for your everyday man, they've got a $1,700 watch designed for hiking and a $1,500 watch, the, the cheapest of the Mark line designed for athletes, which includes fitness features and other performance metrics, as you would expect a good fitness watch to have. Ross, your quick take on Garmin's my, new watch line? My quick take is uh, it's a smart move for them. They have managed to find success in, a, in something that's been a very tough category, uh, particularly recovering from the days of the portable satellite uh, navigators when they, they were king. And uh, uh, I love that they are doing these apps to, to do tighter integration, particularly as they're not really tied into a major app ecosystem. So I, I think it's a, a good move for them and puts more pressure on traditional luxury watch makers. Yeah, I would agree. It's a, it's a great move for them. Uh, as you know, I, I run a lot of marathons mm -hmm. and you see tremendous number of Garmin watches yep. there when when you're running. It is the really the go-to watch. Yes, there are others and there are competitors, but the, the Garmin is highly favored in that uh, you know, that marathon market. 
And at the same time, we're already in these price points with respect to smartphones. So there's mm -hmm. part of you that says, oh, I'll never spend, you know, never spend a thousand dollars on a smartphone. Well, you're already there today and more. And, you know, watches as they increasingly add functionality, we'll start to see comparable prices. So while this looks like a luxury watch today, uh, you know, it, it isn't a stretch to imagine that eventually we could start all wearing $1,000 watches that have a tremendous amount of, of functionality. Now, maybe we won't need them for racing or regattas or piloting private aircraft, but, uh, you know, we could imagine a lot of other functionality being built into these cellular connectivity. We've talked about flexible displays. And so there's a lot, a lot that could start to show up on your on sure. your wrist. And uh, while we haven't yet cracked the code on the killer app, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to streaming my Xbox games. That's there. right. Yeah, and that's... using your Xbox controller <laughs> with one hand <laughs> on while you right while play. while while I race my yacht. Okay, uh, what's what's next for the lightning rounds? Uh, so next we had a note on. Uh, Lyft's IPO and in their yes. S1, they announced that the uh, average ride revenue from their their traditional Lyft car rides is equal, roughly, to the average revenue for scooters. And um, so there was a take on how low that that price really is. So as we were uh, discussing earlier, we think the reason that uh, one reason why the price may be so low for the average Lyft car ride uh, is because of shared rides, which uh, are not a factor on bikes or scooters. But it does illustrate why uh, Lyft and Uber are so interested in uh, these uh, uh, these personal mobility devices that that sounds more like a, a scooter uh but uh um uh, for for these you know emerging forms of personal transportation uh just because uh you know they they save the expense of a driver and they get to deploy in concentrated metropolitan areas where a lot of their revenue already comes uh on on the on the car based services so uh, it also helps explain why both of them are so eager to see the arrival of autonomous vehicles uh, so they could remove that driver expense because it's probably not significantly more profitable than these far, far less expensive uh, scooters or bikes, even, even if they have to uh, even if they have to acquire the fleets themselves. And I think really, Companies are still trying to figure out the unit economics for scooters and trying to get that right. Uh, cities that I've been in, like Indianapolis, I think it works really well. Uh, I think in Washington, D.C., it, it isn't working well, partly because the cities have restricted significantly the number of scooters that you can have. Mm. And so I think there there is pretty big network effects to getting the, the economics to work. Um, to to the, kind of the point you made, Ross, they are very committed to scooters. Uh, the word scooter shows up 159 times in Lyft's <laughs> S1. So it is, uh, you know, throughout. And they're definitely looking at the at transportation generally and mobility broadly when they talk about their, their future. Mm. 
Yeah, they, I mean, they're they're trialing it here in New York City in uh, an area called uh, Far Rockaway. It's uh, sort of more of a, a beachy kind of a residential area as opposed to the uh, concrete and steel jungle of Manhattan. Although if you had told me uh, many years ago about City Bike, which is now, I believe, owned by Lyft, uh, I would have been skeptical that it, it could have worked. Uh, but But it is working, I think, pretty well. And the city has had to change to accommodate it a little bit with uh, far more bike lanes. Um, it's a lot of local controversy about where and how those are implemented, uh, but but it does work well in Manhattan. Yeah, so more to come. I think they're definitely trying to crack the unit economics on that and looking at broad mobility and, and broad transportation. Uh, and the final one we thought we would hit on in our lightning round was an article by Taylor Lorenz, who's always writing about internet culture for the Atlantic. And she talked about how kids are using Google Docs to message each other in schools. And as they uh, move to environments where every student has a tablet or a has a tablet or, or a computer, and then also as they're collaborating across documents like in Google Doc, then they will use that either the doc itself or the messaging tool within Google Docs as their messaging platform. Well, uh, your thoughts on that, Ross? I mean, uh, the the cover is blown. <laughs> so uh, now, now that this is out in the open, I, can, I imagine that uh, teachers are going to uh, be far more aware of it and uh, taking further steps to monitor uh, students as they uh, use these laptops and just goes to show uh, how you know you can ban say phones from the classroom or or your regatta watch uh, and kids will still find a way to uh, uh, do do sneaky uh, things when when the teacher's back is turned I think this is, well, for just my two quick takes. One, kind of funny how Google has been struggling for years and years with the social strategy and people, you know, kids created one within Google Docs. Uh, the second thing is, is that it seems like a very simple thing to fix uh, where, of course, you know, all the Google um, educational apps can be administered centrally and uh, they could just add a preference to turn off commenting or chat features uh, except when the teacher explicitly wants uh, kids commenting on on certain things so we'll see where it goes but uh very yeah, very you, uh, clever by the kids you definitely see that no matter what you put in front of them kids will find a way to message each other right, right. pen and paper they'll write little notes put a tablet in front of them they'll message in, in google docs uh, I think it also highlights how strong uh, a presence Google Docs now has within K through 12 education, mm -hmm. and the implications of that moving forward are very positive for Google. Uh, I think the kids through K through 12 are collaborating on documents significantly more than in generations before them, and they're using tools like Google Google Docs. Google has made a very big push. Uh, into this area. And if you watch what's trending in the App Store at the start of the school, you will see that Google has a very strong presence in, in mm. the apps that are being downloaded when school starts. 
Uh, and then I know in my own experience, I have seen my kids essentially message on anything they can get a hold of. <laughs> so when I took my son's uh, cell phones away, my one 13-year-old son will log into his Instagram account on other people's devices to message wow. his friends. So I wow. think uh, Instagram as a messaging platform is Taylor's next uh, her, her next article to write because kids who don't have devices are logging into their Instagram accounts on other phones and, and friends' phones to then message them. Mm. And I've even seen it where my kids will go to my website where I have a chat bot <laughs> running and they will message me through my own website. That's great. And then that goes to my, I, I get that immediately in my phone and I can jump on and I can message them back. So I have tr transcripts in my uh, in my chatbot platform, where I've messaged my kids during school hours, and they and they've gotten bored and just gone to my website to send me a quick note. So <laughs> you will see them grab a hold of anything they can get in order to send go. messages to friends and family. Buddy, buddy, can you spare an app? That's right. Anything <laughs> to avoid doing the actual assignment. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a wrap. For us here the end at of our assignment for the week, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's a wrap for us here at, at TechSpansive. We appreciate you joining us for another episode, and we encourage you to leave a, a five vote for us here on whatever app platform right, you are using on any messaging podcast. device you can get your hands on. That's right, and, yeah. and message us across any number <laughs> of channels. Uh, you can find me at uh on twitter or on instagram at sean dubrovac and uh on twitter i am ross rubin we look forward to hearing your comments and your feedback and hope that you'll join us next week for our next episode of Techspansive.